52% of the Fortune 500 companies have disappeared since the year 2000. So in 20 years time, you know, these very large, long tenured organizations just sort of went off the market. So the question was what happened to them? Mm. And then of course, we're all curious individuals. So we started asking what happened to the remaining ones and what are they doing differently? So this concept of sustainable growth came to mind and we got curious about understanding what may be leading to these organizations longer tenure, if you will. Our guest today is Cecile Peer. Cecile serves as Head of Employee Experience at Takeda Pharmaceuticals, and she's CEO of Cecile Peer Consulting, a boutique research management consultancy focusing on changing the status quo at work. She's been an active contributor of Forbes. She's been published in HBR, Harvard Business Review, HR Zone, and the UK's HR Magazine. She's also contributed to many management books and is the author of Human-Centered Leadership, Awakening the Choice Within, published in 2021. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know when you meet somebody for the first time and you just find this comfort with them, as if you've known each other for years? Perhaps you might even think you're staring into a mirror. Well, that's how I felt with my first conversation with Cecile, there were so many things that we had in common, our background, our academia focus, writing books. It was a very invigorating conversation, and I was really excited to bring her on to the podcast and share her blend of academia and practical experience being a leader herself. I think that's such an amazing combination when we can blend data with experience. I hope you enjoy this conversation that we had together about human-centered leadership. Welcome to Evolve, a new era of leadership, a podcast for real leaders to join real conversations with business experts, practitioners, thought leaders, and change makers who integrate head, heart, and body in all they do, who commit to compassion and curiosity, who commit to radical self-leadership in their quest to understand others better too. Because the only way to deliver real results is to understand what it takes to lead real human beings. This is a new era of leadership. I'm Carolyn Suara, and this is Evolve, a new era of leadership. Hello, everyone. It's Carolyn Suara, host of Evolve, a new era of leadership. And today's guest is joining us from the other side of the world. And I'm so excited. Cecile Peer, welcome to Evolve. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. Good to be here. We met I'll say that met, but we met virtually several years ago on LinkedIn. And I noticed this amazing woman making comments here and there on my posts. And I would go and look at, at your posts and your background. I thought, oh my goodness, who's this woman, this amazing woman making these comments on my post. And I just felt really honored because Cecile, you have such an incredible background and I'm just really excited to have you on the show. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm equally excited to be here. It's one thing to be with people. It's always a bit of fun and you learn from one another. It's another to be with people who have similar spirits. Yes. And I think we catch each other there, Carolyn. So thank you for having me. It's truly an honor and a pleasure. I yeah. appreciate it so much. And I know that we both share the fact that we're authors and you've had an amazing book called Human Centered Leadership. I'm holding it up for everyone to see, but you can't see it because you're all only on voice. Reading this and going through your work, I mean, yeah, we really do share a connection and, and you've had some global experience with your work, working in large organizations. And I'm just curious how this notion of human-centered leadership became such a passion of yours and an area of focus for you. Thank you for asking. And I also want to say congratulations on your book. As you, you know, I just finished it and I loved reading it. I learned a ton and I definitely saw some very good synergies. So I'm hoping mm. that comes out today through the conversation. So wonderful question. How did it all start? I think it started with the fact that, one, I have been a practitioner my entire professional life. So it's been a little over 25 years now, and I had my own leadership journey. Mm. That's definitely the beginning. But then as an HR practitioner, I've been serving many, many leaders over the years. And what I realized, Carolyn, is Nobody, nobody wants to fail in the job. Yeah. You know, everybody is there for a reason. Yeah. And I don't believe in the concept of bad leadership. I don't think anyone comes to work saying, I want to have a bad day today. I or agree. I want to be of this service to my employees. Yeah. But you do see people struggle, right? Yep. You see them struggle. And I think that awareness made me curious around what's happening here. You know, we have these wonderful people in what I think wonderful jobs, and they're really trying their best. They're giving their whole selves, and yet we are not always getting the outcomes that we wish. Right. And I think that's the curiosity that sort of pushed me into, you know, making affiliations with some organizations and thinking about research and writing even. So that's how all it started, I think. Yeah. I had a similar curiosity when I did my own thesis for my master's and it was based around the fact that one-on-one -on -one with leaders, I'm going to come back to the word that you used with us. I saw a very different spirit. It was almost like a different person would show up. And then when they were in front of others, it was like, well, where did that person go? I became really curious into specifically authentic leadership theory. That's what my thesis mm. was about. And I know we share this notion of authenticity, sort of, you know, being at the core of how we show up. And, and I know that also relates to this idea. We see authenticity related to human-centered leadership, which mm -hmm. I know is the topic of your book. So how did you come to write this book about human-centered leadership? What does it mean with for you? And how does authenticity integrate into that? Mm, I love the word authenticity. And I'm speaking to the choir. So correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't <laughs> done research on this one. But I really feel like there are a lot of misnomers around the word of authenticity, if you will. Yeah, I agree. I personally have come to the conclusion that authenticity is not a process of discovery. 
Mm. It's a process of acceptance for me. Wow, that's amazing. I love the way you said that. It's a nuance, but it makes quite a bit of a difference for me. And I think it also helps me to define what I mean by human-centered leadership. So step back. I hear a lot of people argue about the fact that our system is not human-centric. And I would agree with that. And there's a bit of an argument, if you will. I was at the World Economic Forum this year, for example, and there was a discussion around, you know, should we have human-focused economies or should we have generative, life-focused economies? I don't see the two being so different. I I was going to say the exact same thing. They kind of are one and the same, aren't they? I think we have the notion in our minds that the current system is designed for the human, but it really isn't. I think we need to realize the industrials and industrialists and the economists of its time back, you know, 200 years ago, when we had the first industrial revolution, they designed the system with the P of profit in mind, not the P of people in mind. So I feel like we're not quite honoring the whole of the human, because if we did that, the system would be a lot more generative on its own, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with self-determination theory, but it would say that all human beings as a primate have three core motivations. One is a self-interest, one is our need for connection, and one is our need to have a tie of some purpose, something greater than Mm. ourselves and what we do on a day-to-day basis. When I look at the current, especially the capitalist system, you know, the economic system that we have, it really centers around the self-interest, but it doesn't honor our need for connection or our need for purpose. So for me, when I say human-centered leadership, I'm thinking of how do we create individuals or state of being that honors the whole of an individual, also the core of an individual, which is unique to everyone, and and also serves the reason for our being? Yeah. And I think that's probably the difference in my mind from you know from how people are thinking about human-centered societies or systems or leadership. Yeah, I know when I was writing my book, I wanted to dig into that notion of humanity a little bit more as well. Mm-hmm. And doing my own research again about the where the industrial revolution came from and what our economy was built, the, the systems around that. I was really struck at how long our focus has been. Like, I mean, it's been a couple hundred years of mm-hmm. our systems focus on profit. And I would say productivity came shortly after. Sure. I mean, that was, you know, when when we started getting into the assembly lines and, you know, the early 19th century or early and then, 20th. And that just sort of took over. And it's like we're having a hard time unhooking from that and detaching from that or balancing. Actually, balancing is probably a better word with purpose. I, I couldn't agree more. And it explains sort of the disintegration and the fragmentation we see in the workplace. Yeah. I love many things in your book and one of the things I loved is that you were you know talking about the different dimensions of a human being how we need to activate the hand the head the heart etc and this is true we have four primary dimensions you know we 
have a cognitive capability, we have an emotive capability, which you can relate to the heart, we have a physical and a spiritual one. Yeah. And we have it when we are a child, we have it as adults, it doesn't go away. And yet when you look at the current workplace or the organizations we are part of, majority activates our cognitive space, but it doesn't do anything for the emotive or the physical or let alone the spiritual. And it's not just the workplace, right? So you go to a very busy city, let's say like New York City or Istanbul, where I have lived many years, you know, people won't even look at each other in the eye. I know. We don't see each other physically, like we don't recognize each other's physical dimension to begin with. And this transpires into the workplace. It's absolutely amplified by digitalization now. One of the things that, you know, I make my leaders laugh all the time because I challenge them on, you know, stupid little things (laughs) on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) One of the things I say, you know, we have these back-to-back online meetings now and you know depending on the agenda people come in and out of the room when someone comes in we don't take 10 seconds to say hi caroline come in welcome yep and you know it's like someone walking into your living room and you're not noticing them or when they exit or you know when someone finishes something to say thank you they're so little but they're so core and fundamental to our being our desire to be seen our desire to be heard our desire to be cared for and rewarded those things don't go away as we become adults we just kind of don't pay attention to them because you know there isn't an economic value to it right Right. And, you know, again, the system that's been in place for so long, by the way, have you read any of Katrine Marsal's work, The Mother of Invention? But I have to make a note now. Yes. (laughs) She has written two books. She's a feminist economist from Sweden, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, she wrote two books, Who Made Adam Smith's Dinner? Adam Smith being the father of economic theory that we all live under. And the second one, Mother of Invention. Okay. I yeah, need great those, books. So I will look those up. Yeah. Thank you. One thing that I learned, oh, I learned a lot writing my book, but I, I'll say one of the most <laughs> profound things that I learned was the fact that our nervous systems mm. will talk to each other or communicate with each other at all times. Your nervous system is either going to say, oh, this person feels safe. They just welcome me into the room come on in. Or our nervous system is going to say, hmm, be cautious. And we kind of will step back. And so those little things that you're talking about, I believe when we recognize that we are made up of not just our head and our heart, but also our body and our nervous system as part of that functioning body, it allows us to see leadership in such a broader way and in such a fuller way as well. Yeah, I completely agree. My mind is going in multiple directions, but this concept of social contagion, yes. I don't know if you come across that. Yeah. So in our research too, we find a set of employees, for example, going into the workplace, if you take their blood pressure early in the morning when they come, it's one thing. And then when the leader arrives, especially if the leader is coming from, let's say, a difficult evening, right? Like they didn't have their children sleeping or they had a family argument. 
even if they're completely professional and they don't necessarily transpire their experience onto others, if you measure their blood pressure just several hours later, it's different. Yeah. We do pick up on each other's energies. Our nervous system is very, very powerful. And I think, you know, the power of your work really comes in here because what we know is the impact of trauma is exactly that. It starts with separation from self, then separation from others, you know, isolation or loss of trust. And then you may have an altered worldview thinking, you know, maybe world is not a safe place and maybe there's pain all the time. Yeah. And then you slowly start detaching from what's core and important to you. And that creates an obvious gap for how you build relationships and how you build bondage with others. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What you say makes complete sense to me. Yeah. And I know in your work, Cecile, you talk about in your book, eight core attributes for leaders. Can we talk about a little bit about those? And I read them all. I was like, oh, yep, yep. Check, 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 check. <laughs> I totally agree. How did you come up with those eight, first of all? Very interesting path. And we had sort of three stages to the research, if you will. So the one thing that we were discussing as a group with my team was the statistics that 52% of the Fortune 500 companies have disappeared since the year 2000. Yeah. So in 20 years time, you know, these very large, long tenured organizations just sort of went off the market. So the question was, what happened to them? Mm. And then, of course, you know, we're all curious individuals. So we started asking, well, what happened to the remaining ones and what are they doing differently? So this concept of sustainable growth came to mind. Mm. And we got curious about understanding what may be leading to these organizations longer tenure, if you will. So we reached out to those 48% and some of them agreed for us to interview them. Long story short, what we found leads to what we refer to as a sustainable growth is sort of two-legged. One is adaptability, mm -hmm. which refers to an organization's capability to renew itself. It may be its processes, its products, portfolio, even people to some degree. Mm -hmm. And the second one is resilience, which refers to the collective, but the individuals inside that collective, individuals' ability to bounce back from adversity, to deal with change, and to learn and grow within themselves. So those two came into play. And then, of course, we didn't stop there. We were like, well, if that's the case, what's leading to that? Mm. You know, are there some common behaviors? And I'd love to talk about this too, but we came up with five behaviors, five leadership behaviors we felt like was there was a pattern across multiple organizations. And those five behaviors for me are sort of challenging the current understanding of leadership in a little mm. bit too. Maybe I give one example. So one of the behaviors is leaders sit in many chairs. So inside these organizations who you know, have been in the market for many, many years and continue to be despite the bigger changes that are happening around them, they don't treat leadership the way we know it. You know, mm. in a traditional sense, when we say a leader, people will visualize a hierarchy yep. and a yep. matrix or a matrix, right? So traditional hierarchical structure 
where there's top leadership and there's management, middle management, and then there's employees and the information flows, you know, one way. Yep. In these organizations, they were literally looking at everyone as a leader. So you could be coming out of university fresh, but you would still have a job scope that has a beginning and an end. So you have end-to-end responsibility for something. Within your scope, you had full rights for decision-making. And if a senior, when I say senior, I mean someone with multiple years as an individual contributor or a manager comes in, you're in an equal playground. They can challenge you, but you can challenge them back. You ask each other questions. So they were almost deferring to the organization as more of a dynamic living organism, which I think is very suited. But those kind of behaviors really challenged the way a lot of us think about leadership today. So anyway, we started with the sustainable growth, came to behaviors, and then we looked for, okay, within the individuals, are there some common attributes that are helping leaders behave the way they do Mm. to create these safe spaces, to create these equal playgrounds, if you will, to build trust, et cetera. And that's how the eight attributes came about. And the eight attributes are very interesting to me. We have this language of like hard skills and soft skills in the workplace. And I don't necessarily like that. Yeah, me too. We call them core, right? Because mm. the eight pair, you know, purpose is there as an example, courage is there, yeah. uh, wonder is there, compassion is there. These are attributes that we are all born with. It doesn't yeah. matter the geography. It doesn't matter what kind of a family we're born into or what sort of, you know, credible education we have had. But we are not always taught how to work with these attributes. And that makes a difference. Yeah. Because when you play with purpose, if you're able to actually activate and live your purpose, then you contribute to formation of a certain climate versus not. Or if you can be courageous, again, you attribute yourself to contribution of a certain climate or not. So they almost sit on a spectrum where you can lean in or lean out and depending on where you play it creates a certain environment for other people that's what i was really struck by i'm just going to read off the eight so our listeners can know i thought to myself like if i was coming into an organization and i saw these eight core attributes and Mm -hmm. that helped me develop as a person a human Mm -hmm. how that would just really bring out the strengths within, right? And serve the whole, like everybody, not just the organization. So the eight core attributes, purpose, courage, foresight, emotional intelligence, wonder, wisdom, compassion, and mastery. Correct. Wonder and wisdom. I was really taken by those. Can you help us understand, you had mentioned leadership behaviors. Mm-hmm. or competencies. And, and you started to talk a little bit about how leadership has changed a little bit. How are the core attributes connected to those leadership behaviors? Yeah, very, very good question. So let's take a couple of examples. I think it's probably best to go a little bit deeper so that the audience okay. can also relate and understand better. So let's take purpose as an example, and then we can take another one. 
So what do we mean by purpose? Purpose, generally speaking, it's a core belief or an aspiration someone has as to what they do or why they exist in the first place. So in an individual or organizational context, you can think of it as the why, you know, understanding the why of a right. behavior or situation or a specific mission. There's a scientific definition we have in the book. We'll put that aside. But in the art of leading, purpose is key because when we know our purpose, we are able to align all of our being and doing accordingly. So we understand what's our life's mission. We understand what are our values. And only with that, our nervous system actually gets elevated and we are able to intake information better. Mm. So when someone comes and says something like, we are going to have a new product in our portfolio. Not only we are able to listen better, but we are looking for ways of connection and assigning our purpose, our reason for being to what we can do with this new product that's coming in and how right. we can position it for the benefit of others. So it really embodies a core effort, almost like an intrinsic motivation that helps us not only overcome our own inertia so we can do the right thing, but it helps us also explain things better and help others make better sense of what's happening in the environment. It's really critical because what we find in our research, the leaders who are able to live their purpose and come to work with that for example, if someone knows, you know, I live to be in service to others, or I live to provide better health care to the world and the environment. Mm -hmm. And every time they come to work, they're looking for a piece of information and nuance, something that they can take and work with and then help inspire others right. through their stories, through a shared story. And when they don't actually... the complete opposite happens their nervous system starts to slowly shut down or disconnect from any information any activity that's happening in the environment so when an employee comes in and says why are we investing in this new product they're not always able to articulate for the better right you know or they give some answers that are pre-prepared and it doesn't necessarily transpire as energy and inspiration right um so there's less sense-making, if you will, in the environment and more lacking. Yeah. That's the leaning in and out, if you will. So there's okay. no harm in not knowing or not living your purpose, except that if you can, it helps others better connect to you, better connect to what's happening in the environment and create a shared story. Right. The individuals. So is it almost like these attributes are like the seeds and then the leadership that. behaviors are like you water. It's like the water, the sun, it's the, it, I'm not a gardener, but it's the, <laughs> it's the things that will make it flourish. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a beautiful symbol. They help you potentially grow the capacity that's in you. Yeah. And through that opening, through that blossom, it gives others to be a part of what's happening, right? It creates an environment where others can come in. We could take another example. I don't know what's interesting to you either 
courage or wonder, but can we go with wonder? I was in awe. Are wonder and awe kind of similar? They, they're related and yeah. in scientific terms. They're different. Awe okay. in scientific definition tends to be bigger than wonder. Okay. They're yes. very closely related. So let's, um, let's go with that one. Let's go with wonder. Okay. So when we talk about wonder, we often say it's a sense of curiosity. And I think it is. Yeah. But there is something a little more to wonder. There's a sense of connectedness that comes mm. through this particular attribute. So individuals are really in the moment when they have a sense of wonder. In an organizational context, it really sort of manifests itself as having a beginner's mind. So people can build valuable options and have a better ability to listen to one another. Right. And there are really three facets to wonder. There's the ability to sort of find and recognize or take pleasure in whatever is existing. So that's kind of being in the moment. But then there's an active engagement and there's responsiveness to what's happening. So not only you see something and you go, wow, you actually kind of lean in to learn more and dig a little bit deeper. Mm. And through that sort of active cognition or emotion, if you will, there's an ongoing engagement and it creates more synergies, more discussions, more dialogue with people. So in practical terms, it literally feeds into people's creativity. Right. Right. So that's what happens. I mean, a lot of organizations are looking for innovation and they'll turn to technology or they'll turn to something that they hope will sort of activate their creativity where we have this wonderful attribute that we can work with. And the beautiful thing is when leaders are wondrous, not only they share the sense of vastness and beauty, if you will, but they also start sort of looking actively for areas where they can find moral excellence, where they can Mm. find ethical practice. So it takes them to a whole different compass, if you will, which I think is wonderful. And again, on the opposite, when leaders are not able to work with wonder, a lot of the times what happens is they start slowly, again, disconnecting from the moment, disconnecting from the discussion. Sometimes they are only playing in their heads and even if they look like they're listening to someone they're actually preparing their own answers or justifying their own sense of judgment and so they get into this like I know it all attitude and you don't see a lot of dialogue happening you don't see a lot of synergies being built you don't see a lot of discovery happening in a mutual setting. I think it's a really powerful tool, if you will, wonder. For me, it's one of the key attributes. Yep. (laughs) It really stood out to me. Would you say that our inability to be present in the moment is the biggest barrier to achieving these core attributes? Mm. Wow. It's a great question. I think that's part of it for sure. I think, you know, going back to the original opening we had in terms of how authenticity is about acceptance, I think you really need to be in the moment to come to agreement with whatever you may have, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever you may be lacking. That's the other thing. I don't think there's anything good or bad about what we have 
I don't see a judgment, mm. Caroline. I, this has been my biggest, I think, epiphany, if you will, in my own leadership journey. I used to be my own <laughs> judge before anyone else. Yep. And if I couldn't do something, I continuously beat myself for it without anyone knowing. Yep. You know, I didn't even share that. And that alone disconnects you from the moment. Yep. So you miss multiple opportunities of what's happening. If you are in the moment, then hopefully you can start to see what's happening for what's happening without any judgments. And if you can be compassionate with yourself, then hopefully you can start growing some awareness and say, oh, maybe that behavior didn't necessarily land itself the way I meant it to. I wonder what happened there and start mm. analyzing a little bit. Yeah, And that creates an opportunity for us to potentially step into correct course, reconnect to our values, right. and even have some dialogue with the people who may be on the receiving end of that behavior and rejuvenate our bondage and our relationships. So yeah. it's a wonderful question you ask. It really made me think, but I think you are onto something there. Being in the moment makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I think for me, another thing that I've learned, I won't say the one thing is we can be in the moment with our head. And I think for many years, I thought being in the moment meant cognitively being focused on a topic sitting in a meeting. And so you're shaking your head. We're on the right, we're on the same page. What I learned is again, I'll come back to those three centers of intelligence. I think they're easy for people to remember is your heart in the moment. Are you allowing yourself to feel in the moment and use that data and that emotion as data instead of pushing it away? Are you in the moment with like feeling your feet on the floor or, you know, feeling the temperature around you? And I'll be the first to say I've lived probably, you know, most of my life not being in the moment with all three of those centers of intelligence. And I think that's where I think there's such a huge opportunity mm-hmm. for leaders. And again, we both agree on what a leader is. If you step into an organization and you want to make things better, that makes you a leader. It doesn't matter what your title is. I think that's where there is just so much untapped opportunity is to see that integration. I fully agree. And I love the probes you have in the book. In fact, I made a note of a couple and one of them was around when has fear been present for you? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to quote it exactly. And what does it look like? And, you know, over my career, over my professional life, there has been many occasions where, you know, leaders didn't necessarily come out the way that they wanted to. And then as their HR practitioner, you know, we would have a debrief afterwards. And if I ever stopped them to ask, what are you feeling right now? Where is it in the body? Less than 1% can actually articulate it. They're so disconnected from what's happening. They can't say my hands are cold or I'm sweating or it's in my guts or I have a burning sensation in my head. They actually do not know because they're not there. They're physically there or cognitively there in the conversation, but they're not able to carry that hole. And this is where the importance of that hole comes in. Exactly, exactly. If you don't have the awareness, then how are you going to create space for any sort of self-regulation? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's bringing me back to a comment that you shared, or it was a statement that you shared when we had our first conversation a few weeks ago. And it was about the importance of holding the space of safety and not trying to solve things. Mm-hmm. And that comment of holding space, I think, again, is where we need to go with leadership. How do we hold space? We can't hold space for ourselves or others if we're not present with our head, heart, and body. I absolutely agree. And there is so much around language that plays against us here. I'm really unhappy with the business language. Let me just put it out there. There are many things that we say, I think it doesn't serve people well. Management, or manager as a vocabulary is one of them. We're smiling, we're probably on the same page. The way we think of a manager is someone who actually manages Manages. command and control and fixing. And the truth is you can't really manage people. I mean, I wish you could. I know you're a mom. I'm yep. <laughs> going to be one in a couple of months. I can't manage my partner. Let's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I would love to. It's really not possible. And that axis of management versus leadership, I think these are things that really paralyze us because what happens is, you know, somebody who is an excellent individual contributor perhaps has perfected the way they do time management, task management. They got their operations in control, right? Like you give them an assignment, they know how to break it into pieces, they know what to do, they know when to get feedback, and then hopefully they deliver on time with the budget. And then you promote them into a leadership role and they assign something to someone else. They expect the same formula works for the other person. Right. Right. Because that's what they know. You want to get from A to B? This is what you need to do. I have it. I have it perfected. And when the other person starts to go from A to C to come back to B, they jump because their sense of control is elevated. And what's going on here? This is not how I know how to do things. Are we going to land in the right place? And sure, they feel accountable. They feel responsible for the end result. And therefore, they start to sort of activate all these practices that they know. Anyway, long story short, I know you know where I'm going with this. There are circumstances, there are practices, there are mindsets that we have been taught that are really working against us. So I want to invite our colleagues to give themselves the freedom to not believe just because we are taught something a certain way doesn't mean it's going to work for us. Give yourself yep. the freedom to try something else. Yep. And if it doesn't work the way that you are taught, maybe there's another solution that you have not been taught yep. yet. And this is where we'll come back to those core attributes and how they can serve us to move leadership forward. I'm curious of what other words are not serving us Can you share a few other ones? I know we definitely agree on management. What other ones come up for you? There are so many. I don't like work-life balance. I feel like, I mean, you know so much about neurology. We're sort of coding into our heads that work and life are separated. We're not. We have one life and work is a part of it. Hopefully it's a beautiful part of it. It doesn't have to be. 
but there's so much more integration there. And there's something about also stepping in and really fulfilling our space. I have nothing against economists, <laughs> but we do disagree a lot. You know, when I'm at the forum or else places, we have very vivid arguments and I love them because I learned so much through them. Mm. But even recently, this concept of great exit, for example, right? The argument for me is not solid. Why is it a great exit? I wrote an article saying, is this great exit or great awakening? Because if you're an economist, you're going to associate everything to, again, revenue and money, right? Yep. You're going to say people are living workplaces for pay and additional benefits. But in reality, the research shows us, no, they're not. They're looking for better purpose. They're looking yep. for better cultural fit and meaningful connections. So maybe it's not necessarily an exit. Maybe they're awakening to the fact that there could be a different reality. See how it shifts the conversation in a whole different place. Yeah. And we don't have to be so much on the offense. So I always say to my HR colleagues, it's your space. You don't have to take concepts at the heart value. If it yep. doesn't feel right to you, it doesn't feel right to you. You yep. don't have to own it. And in fact, I would want us to challenge one another and, and say, Cecile, you think this or you write about this. Do you really think it is this? And you know, give me an opportunity to go back and forth and let me learn something from you. And maybe together we arrive at a better place. Right. I don't like these sort of flavor of the day concepts and trends. And I know how they generate money. Don't get me wrong. I've been in the industry a long time, yeah. but it just doesn't serve us. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, Cecile, we could talk for a long time. I know. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. In some ways, I'm sad to wrap it up, but we do have three questions. Can we go there to wrap up the conversation? Sure, sure. Yeah. Of yeah. And these three questions, they're based out of my book and the Evolve Leadership Model, which we talked about so many overlaps today with that. So the first one has to do with self-awareness. And I'm asking the guests who come on to share a moment of self-awareness that was, you know, kind of striking a moment when there was a lot of discomfort, but it yielded a lot of insight for you. Mm, yeah, I love that question. I'll go back to my early days as a leader. Carolyn, I made many, many mistakes. Huh? So mm. I have so many examples and I hope I have been able to learn through them. But this one, I lost sleep for many, many nights over this one. So what happened was I was with a company, a large pharmaceutical, and I had a very big team. And we were just introducing open spaces. And I don't yeah. have a preference for open spaces. I'm an introvert and I need a bit of a closeness. Um, but nevertheless, this was our setting. And uh, there was someone on the team where I really struggled to gain trust with. Um, mm. It was a she, she was also older than me and more experienced than me. And I thought I did everything right. And I just could not gain her trust and I couldn't figure out why. So, you know, after many, many months, one day I just said, what's wrong? Like, tell me, what am I doing wrong? Mm. And by the way, if I can say, if you notice something, don't wait yeah. at all. You don't have to wait. 
I think vulnerability is a sign of courage. I didn't know it then. So I yep. waited, I think, too long. Yeah. But anyway, she shared with me something she observed because we were in an open space, a conversation I had with another colleague, someone from the team. She didn't have the context. She didn't have the background of what was happening. All she told me was that my response seemed forceful, if I can use your model, mm, yep. forceful to her. And there was a very legitimate reason for why, if there was any aggression, there was aggression in the conversation. However, yep. I recognized that day that no matter what, the job comes with a microscope. Yeah, People look at you, for better or worse, for role modeling. And it's not just about one-to-one relationships we build. It's about how we show up in the environment. Right alone or with others and trust can be built or taken away from that too and that was such an eye opener for me I think it was one of those things along with others later in life I when I decided I have to be who I am at home at work elsewhere it's who I am I'm not gonna lose pieces of me that was one of those things because you can't earn trust by gossiping to someone about yeah. someone else. Like one behavior we always see in the workplace. I trust you. So I'm going to tell you this. Yes. Yeah. And the other person is thinking, well, are you doing this in the back of me too? You right. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So are you saying like you, you wish you hadn't been forceful or you wish you were more forceful and maybe okay. forceful? People don't have the context with it necessarily, but obviously. Yeah, what I think what I learned is if I'm going to give someone feedback, it has to be one-to-one. Gotcha. Or if if it's in a group setting, everybody needs to be brought in on the context Mm. so they can understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. otherwise there's gap and they fulfill the gap with yes. their own experiences, their own beliefs and assumptions. So that was the biggest learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that trust isn't necessarily build only one-to-one yes yeah yeah oh that was a profound example Cecile all right second question Hmm. what is a practice or ritual that keeps you or returns you to a regulated state in your nervous system Hmm. Um, it's a beautiful question also I love taking walks as a way of meditation. Yep. I am not someone who can sit in silence for meditation. I have a praying practice. So mm. I do that every morning, kind of like a meditation. Yep. I have a mat that my grandmother hands off for me many, many years ago. Oh, beautiful. I just sit on that and you know, show a sign of gratitude for things that I have. That's that's my prayer. Yeah. Um, but what helps me the most is if I'm out in the nature and walking. And I really try to do that almost every day, Caroline, for 40 minutes to an hour. Sometimes I have podcasts in my ears. Most of the time, there's nothing. It's just yeah. silence. Just to connect with nature. Yeah, that yeah. really grounds me. I feel like that's my soil and I kind of wash all the energies mm. away. And come oh, back that's to beautiful. Yeah. 
And last but not least, the final question has to do with connection and something bigger than ourselves. And so this one is about music. I find that music is just a way to connect. It's a language in its own right. But what is a song or genre of music that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? Mm, I love music. I love dancing too. I don't mm. do it as much as I used to and I heard <laughs> that. I love disco music, like mm. 60s, 70s. And yep. I tell you why. I think there's something about this sort of the flow in the music that makes me feel free so I can just let go and surrender surrender mm. to the moment I think yep. that's what makes it worthwhile for me and I'm such a silly character you know, <laughs> just to get giddy with people makes yeah. me laugh and smile it just elevates my state I feel joyful and I feel really happy so yeah I'd say that probably. And we I do know. it with my husband too. Sorry, I just cut you off. Like oh, in the morning, okay. you know, when the radio is on, usually it's the vintage tunes that are playing and, you know, we kind of go, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, when, thank you so much for uh, coming on. This has been an amazing conversation and I wish you all the best in your next chapter that is about to come into your world. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're right. We could go on for another hour, but I loved every minute of it. So yeah. thank you. One of the statements that Cecile shared in our conversation today is still resonating strongly with me. She said, authenticity is a process of acceptance. And I've never heard it stated like that. But when I think about all of her work in human-centered leadership and my work in trauma-informed leadership, it really does come down to that. How willing are we as leaders? How willing are we to find what our true authentic being is. Who are we really? And I know that might sound deep, but I honestly don't see a way out of our workplaces and the frustration and the chaos and the pain that people are feeling until we as leaders, and in particular, leaders who have the power at the top of the hierarchy are really willing to look inward and authenticity is a word that's used and thrown around a lot and yet true authenticity is really hard to find and sometimes you think you might have found it and there's a few other layers to go i hope you enjoyed this conversation with cecile if you are interested in any of her work we have left her contact information in our show notes and if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review and share and subscribe. It really helps. You can find me at carolynsuara.com and my new book, Evolve, The Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership can be found on Amazon. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you again soon.